Welcome to Anti-Aging Unraveled with Dr. Lori Gerber. The body is one of the most complicated systems in the universe. Dr. Gerber and her guests explore integrative medicine and cosmetic dermatology, combining traditional medicine, alternative health practices, new innovations, and technology, which work together to help you look and feel natural and age gracefully. Now, here is your host, Dr. Lori Gerber. Hey, good evening, everybody, and welcome to another night, uh, Wednesday night, and it is not raining, I'm happy to report at six o'clock uh, Eastern Standard Time. So this is Anti-Aging Unraveled, and I have a little bit of a different topic at request from uh, some people in my office and around me. Um, I did give a lecture on this quite some time ago on, to the residents on aging skin, sun exposure, and, and kind of what you're looking for with uh, nevi or what we call lesions on the skin, what's bad, what's good, and what is the difference in the sunscreens? Um, I think that's a massive, um, question that people ask me all the time. So we're going to start off talking about sun safety and why it's important. And I think in all honesty, all of us probably would say that we like to get a little bit of sun, right? We like the warmth. We, it makes us feel good. It's good for our brain. It's good for our vitamin D levels, but our skin, unfortunately, if you're in my industry, does not like it so much. And for the most part, what you're going to find is that prolonged sun exposure um, ages the skin pretty dramatically and it has a higher risk of different types of skin cancers, which we're going to talk about how to identify those. And this is probably um, a really good one to go onto my website or onto Voice America to actually, um, actually, you're going to have to go on my website or onto um, one of my podcast channels because what I'll do is I'll post um, along with it some photos and some video of um, some of the different lesions so you can see what they look like. But I will do my best to describe it as well. But you know, no matter what time of year protecting our sun is, or skin from the sun is important. You know, the we've learned more recently to put on makeup with sunblock and sunscreens under our makeup and that kind of thing. But in all honesty, that wasn't always the case. And and I remember growing up that my parents were very good about trying to put it on me. But I know my mom, for sure. I, I definitely remember the 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 oil when I was really little and the reflectors, and and even when she was little, getting sunburn on a chronic, chronic basis. So. You know, why is it important? And I think the amount of skin cancer has gone up so dramatically that I think that, you know, there's there's cause for concern and, and why this sun protection is so important because the UV rays coming through are so much stronger than they used to be. So um, we can, you get this leathery skin, you get these fine lines and wrinkles. I like to call them roadmaps, but they're really just these lines that kind of weave in and out of the skin that really um, are what we call solar elastosis because we lose the elasticity of the skin, which is not a good thing. Um, elastic tissue is what keeps us young. It's what keeps our skin up and intact. And I know none of you want to say that your skin is hanging in very dry from the sun. So of course we have that skin texture, but we also have color. So it can either actually over darken or create what we call a melanin burnout where you get these white spots as well on the skin. Another thing that can happen is you can get dark spots or sunspots. So we're going to talk about how to differentiate some of these spots. But, you know, skin cancer, um, according to the CDC, um, there will be 106,110 new cases of melanoma in 2021 and um, 7,180 deaths from melanoma. So when we talk about melanoma, obviously, this is the most dangerous type of skin cancer. Um, and the, it, it spreads most rapidly um, internally. So 
we're going to really stress how to find one of those on yourself um, if you can. Because sometimes, believe it or not, they don't have any color and um, that can be a problem. But, you know, skin cancer is the most common form of cancer in the United States. Um, so if you think about it that way, really, we should be doing our due diligence, putting on our sunblock, getting our skin checks, making sure we're looking at our own skin on a regular basis. So um, there is a really big need for, I think, the understanding of sunblocks as well. And that, to me, is a critical part of this conversation. So again, we're going to get into that in a minute. But I think what we'll start talking about, and I hope this is a good, uh, what I would call, um, timeline for you guys. We're going to talk about what a mole is and what a good mole is versus bad mole. And in medicine, we call them nevus or nevi. And it's a it's, it's kind of a funny word, but if I use it, just know I'm talking about a mole. I'm going to try to make this really simple. But a nevus or a mole can usually, it should appear within the first two decades of your life. So when we talk about birthmarks, you know, you're born with some and then you do acquire some over your first 20, 20 something years. That's normal. Okay. And of course, we're going to get some after those 20 something years. And those are the ones that we want to really look at and try to identify. So, you know, you can get sunspots after that time, which are really usually flat, um, relatively uniform in color, medium brown, and they don't look raised or black, okay? And they usually, they, they stay the same. They can get a little bit larger as the sun exposes them, but they usually stay pretty, pretty uh, stable. They don't raise up. They don't bleed. They don't itch. Um, they may scale, and that is normal as well because they're pretty superficial on the, on the top edge. But the melanin pigment, pigment does go deeper down. So, you know, if you get something in your 30s, I think that's something that you might want to say, all right, you know, what am I doing here? What am I looking at? And that's when you really want to get an idea of what I'm talking about. The other thing is pregnancy and puberty and um, menopause can also bring on different moles and different changes. So again, hormone changes and hormone fluctuations can do this. And there are critical times in your life where you really want to look at these things and say, all right, again, what am I looking at? Does this look normal or do I need to have this checked out? So Let's talk about melanoma. So melanoma is the most dangerous type. It is a leading cause of all skin, skin cancer-related deaths. So meaning there's two other kinds of skin cancer that are out there, and they do not spread as quickly. And it spreads into the lymphatic system and the bloodstream and basically can kind of metastasize very relatively rapidly. So what are we looking for? Well, we like to call it um, the ABCs, right? So ABCDs. And we try to make it easy. A is really asymmetry. The border should not be perfectly symmetrical. Again, these are generalizations. So, you know, obviously there's outside the box here or, or things that don't follow the rules, but generally speaking, they're going to look like rippled. They're not going to look symmetrical. Your borders by the same token. So I always say you shouldn't be able to fold it in half and make it look the same. And your borders should look irregular, um, not like a, a perfect doily or anything, but almost like a jagged doily, like you ripped edges off. The, um, the other thing is circumference. So, you know, when we, when we, or color rather, we should talk about color because I think color is probably the most important part of this. And color is if it's black or has black portions. So if it looked medium brown for a long time, then all of a sudden it has this big black dot in it or a raised black mark, that's a change. You know, that's something, or it maybe became a little asymmetrical and then it got this nice dark black um, spot in it. Again, that's a change. We want to take notice of that and get that one checked out. And when I say get it checked out, um, go to your dermatologist and probably have a biopsy to see what this is. 
you know, that might be an early sign of melanoma where it just starts to change into what we call an atypical cells um, before it forms melanoma. The last thing is that the diameter. Um, so we always say bigger than a pencil eraser, which is approximately six millimeters. And, you know, if you think about that, it's a relatively sizable spot. Again, these are generalizations. So if you have any one of the four of these things, or maybe even two of the four of these things, or it changes rapidly and you look at it and you're like, this is not what I used to have here, that's really a sign that, you know, you want to get it taken care of and checked out. And I think the most important part to that whole thing is change, right? It's, it's almost like it's not a static color. It's not a static shape. It's not a static um, with its borders or a diameter. All right. So again, melanomas need to be excised. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They need to be taken off and expect a pretty big, um, uh, what we call scar or line because it does need very large borders. So when we do take these off, we do leave um, quite a bit, we take quite a bit of good tissue around it in the off chance that it would spread beyond um, the actual border of the, the lesion, okay? How do you know the difference between what we would call a solar lentigo, which is just a brown spot from the sun, and melanoma? Well, in all honesty, it's tough, right? So a solar lentigo in itself is usually relatively uniform in color. It does have irregular borders at times, but can be pretty symmetrical. I think for when you talk about sunspots turning into melanoma, which can happen, you want to look for change. You want to look for those dark spots, those black spots, those raised edges. And that to me is a, is a warning sign or a red flag that you need to kind of get this taken care of. So melanoma, we're talking about A, B, C, Zs, and you should be getting a skin check every year. Remember, you know, the lighter you are, the redder your hair, the less melanin pigment, which means the lighter your skin tone is, family history of melanoma, um, or if you have a ton of moles, the chances are that you're going to have a higher risk of melanoma long term. You know, when you have, when you're covered in moles and you're, let's just say you're, you have a family history of melanoma, the chances of one of those turning into what we call atypical cells in the melanoma is higher than somebody else. Um, the other thing is a weakened immune system, and I think a lot of times this goes under, um, I guess, understated. Uh, when your immune system, your immune system is meant to basically troll your body looking for things that are not correct. And when your immune system isn't appropriate, and it's maybe autoimmune or weakened, maybe you're on steroids long term, maybe you have inflammatory bowel disease, I think that there's reason to suspect, and we have the evidence at this point, that there's a higher risk of melanoma in those patients. And if you think about it, you know, we know that that's the case too with chemo patients as well, that they are more higher risk for other types of skin cancers. So when you can't control the amount of growth that's going on in the body because your immune system is a little bit off, then these melanomas can tend to grow. So, you know, I think that's something to keep in the back of your head and that's reason to really understand this whole sunblock story because the more you sun protect, the less exposure you have, the better off you're going to be. So when we go through this, I am going to talk about ways to get on the sun, different sunblocks and actually things that we can do for some of these non-cancerous lesions. So when we kind of go towards the end, I hope to be able to answer some of that for you. Feel free to shoot me a message um, in either Instagram or Facebook if you have questions during the show. And also, if you have questions um, after the show about what you should be using or, you know, if you need something, like even like something quick looked at, 
I, I'm I'm okay with that. You know, if I I'll, if I want you to come in or if I think it's dangerous, I'll definitely be sending you out to dermatology. So um, to get it taken off, because unfortunately I don't do that. So um, I can't send it out for pathology for you guys. So I can't take them off for you, unfortunately. But I can definitely tell you if it looks suspicious. Now I'm going to give you, a, I had mentioned that melanomas can have no color. So I have seen what we call amelanotic melanomas and not to scare anybody. But again, if you have a lesion that changes, that raises up, that maybe wasn't there in your 20s and is new, that's something that you probably want to get looked at. And those are the type of lesions that we sometimes can't predict, those non-colored melanomas. So it's always worth either having the dermatologist take a piece and send it out or at least having them put eyes on it. Um, so, you know, and the other thing I didn't mention is the higher risk from um, tanning beds and blistering sunburns. So, you know, we're going to talk, I'm going to talk a little bit more about um, tanning beds because I think that that's an important topic. And a lot of people are doing spray tans these days and it has become more popular. But the more exposure you have, remember, the more, the higher chances you have of skin cancer and of sun damage to your skin to look, to look older. Blistering sunburns are, are a big one. Um, most of the sun damage when you're older is from when you were a child. So it takes that long to come out. And, you know, even the people that are what we call weekend tanners and it's short bursts of long exposure are at much higher risk for melanoma. So they might not be outside every day, but they're definitely getting these long bursts, these eight to 10 hours a day on a weekend just to get a good tan. And that puts you at a higher risk as well. So, um, and of course, geography, you know, living in an area that has much more sun puts you at higher risk and um, Florida, Hawaii, um, Australia. So anywhere that has longer um, periods of sun exposure. So I think let's talk about indoor tanning for a second. There's a lot of myths, misconceptions. And again, I'm not trying to put any indoor tanning places out of business. I just feel that there's some details that people need to understand for tanning. And, um, you know, the tanning industry likes to kind of put out some of these, I would say, misconceptions or misfacts. And the first myth is that Tanning beds um, use UVA rays, and UVA rays are safe. Well, UVA rays are not safe. They can still cause melanoma and skin cancer, and they're the aging rays. They're the ones that literally age you the most. So if we're talking about sun damage and getting leathery skin and, and all of that, you're going to definitely have a much higher chance of that with um, tanning beds. And, you know, the other one that I love is that you're only going to have a risk if the tanning bed, if you're, if you're burning, if you're going to burn the tanning bed. And that's not true. Even if you get a tan, um, it does age your skin, right? So you can still get cancer. You can still get um, the other type of cancers we're going to talk about. And you can still get sun damage, um, photo aging. So I know we all like to have a little color, but there really isn't such a thing as a healthy tan. So, you know, I don't know who's taken advantage of some of these new um, trends in bathing suits in the market right now, but it's a great idea to keep covered up, which we're going to talk about. So, you know, when we talk about tanning, even if your immune system doesn't work as well, like we talked about, it can leave you more likely to develop um, a skin cancer. So I, I would suggest that before you go to a tanning booth, you understand those um, myths and you use them in a way that is safe and 
and understand what you're putting yourself at risk for. So let's talk a little bit about the other types of skin cancers and and then we'll talk more about um, sunscreen and what we can do for sunspots. I actually just got a question that what can you do if you have a lot of freckles and sunspots on Facebook? And I will get to that in one minute or actually maybe closer to 10 minutes. So keep listening. I will get to that answer. So let's talk really about the other types of skin cancers because I think there's a an important fact to understand that if your family is prone to skin cancers and you're light-skinned and you're fair and you're redheaded, chances are you're going to get something. Um, Pre-cancers are called what we call actinic keratoses, and that's just a big word for these little scaly spots on your skin that don't go away. And you'll also get a lot of these little blood vessels, and and those little blood vessels are sun damage. And then the little scaly top over top of it is what we call actinic keratoses. We freeze these off, we peel these off, we laser these off. Um, sometimes we use a little um, like a chemo cream to get these off. So when they're early like this, for the most part, they're superficial and we can get them off with superficial methods. Once they're sitting around for a long period of time, that's when they become a little bit more dangerous. And those pre-cancers, those actinic keratoses can become what we call um squamous cell carcinoma, which um, I think a lot of us are familiar with um, seeing our grandparents with all these little, maybe like honey-crusted little spots on their skin, usually nose, ears. It almost looks like their skin is peeling or they have a scab there. These scabs uh, that don't go away are, are called squamous cell. And squamous cell skin cancer is, um, I like to call it like a scabby, crusty, honey, honey color. They usually look like they picked at their face, um, but they just don't go away. They never heal. And then when they don't heal, they get larger. Very common, again, in the fair skinned population. So again, that Irish fair, um, usually light hair, but I mean, my family gets a ton of them, dark haired. And like I said, starts in sun exposed areas. So usually forearms, nose, ear tips, um, top of the lip or mouth, and it just doesn't stop bleeding and crusting. It almost looks like you have like a, a bug bite or a cut or an eczema patch that just doesn't get better. Squamous cells can spread. If they're, if they're let, left to their own devices long enough or if it happens to be an aggressive form of squamous cell, they can end up in the body. And that is something that you want to obviously address. And they can be pretty unsightly. They, um, they're very destructive to the skin tissue. So they can actually eat away um, at, the, at the skin pretty good and leave you looking pretty deformed. Um, so what I do suggest is you getting them, once you've done gotten some of the maybe early cancers off, if you have ones that are coming back that aren't going away, that's ones that have actually turned and become a squamous cell. And those are the ones that you actually want to get um, scooped off and sent out for biopsy. And then they'll, they'll usually just do, um, they'll just, see if it comes back or sometimes on the face, they'll do what we call a um, chemo cream to get rid of some of the rest of what's left. It just depends on the borders. So that's a, um, yes, it can be aggressive, but it's a relatively treatable skin cancer that can be treated pretty easily. And then we can talk about what I call um, the pearly papule, and that is basal cell carcinoma. So All right, guys, I think that basal cell is probably one of the hardest ones to identify if you've never had one on your body. If you've had one, once you have a basal cell, 
generally speaking, you can recognize another basal cell. And basal cells are funny. They start off as like almost like a, a pimple that doesn't go away. So it's like a little bump. And that little bump is fleshy, not really red, not really conspicuous. And it likes, again, the head, the neck, the hands, um, shoulders sometimes. It likes sun-exposed areas as well. It's common in fair-skinned people. They grow pretty slowly. So when you have a pimple there for a while or this bump that's not going away, and you're like, hmm, why is this not going away? And then you look at it, and it gets a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger, and then it turns kind of like a pinkish. It usually grows a little bit of a blood vessel or a vasculature in it. That's the key that that is a basal cell. The other thing they sometimes do is they start to bleed a little bit. And you'll get a little blood spot and you're like, oh, or they itch. And you're like, why is this itching and why is this bleeding? I would say more commonly, like I said, it's described as a pearly, pink, or fleshy papule. And it looks very inconspicuous. But it just never goes away. Again, after your 20s, maybe early 30s, it start, these start to appear. They do tend to run in family lines, again, based on, you know, what kind of autoimmune stuff is going on, how light their skin is, how much sun exposure and where they live. All these things do play a role, but they're a little harder to identify until you've had one yourself. So these need to be cut out a little bit differently. Um, and generally speaking, we like to, you know, do a biopsy and then actually get clear borders. And usually when we do that, we do what's called a Mohs procedure. And... That is where we take the um, we take you back into like a mini OR of sorts, and we cut out a spot on top of that lesion, and we make sure we have clean borders before you leave. If there's an edge that's not clear, then we keep going, and you know obviously that can be a little difficult at times with um, skin cancer because you can have more spots that have cancer on them as well around that spot. So sometimes the spot is bigger than the actual lesion which is why it's really important to do it that way um, so that you can make sure that you've gotten the entire thing and get clear borders. And then they close you up while you're there before you leave. So um, I think that if, you're, if, you, if you have a question on something that's been on your skin for a while, at that point, you want someone to take a look at it, especially if you're in your 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s or older. Um, again, new lesions at that point in your life should not really happen or they shouldn't change. Um, so that should pretty much help you with the skin cancer world. And, you know, skin cancer per se, um, like I said, is in your 30s, but the aging rays, I would say, starts a lot earlier. And, you know, we really have to start thinking about it when we start getting these little freckles, these solar, what we call solar lentigenes or lentigos. And they're just, or liver spots are another word. And they are unsightly at times, and some people dislike them. The other thing that happens is you can get that rough, uneven, leathery skin tone. And I think what people miss the most is the blotchiness of the skin tone and the capillary formation. So those little red blood vessels that you get kind of on the nose and the cheeks and maybe um, when the skin starts to look red, yes, you can get rosacea. Yes, it can be um, hormonal, but it can also be from sun exposure. Um, there are also sun exposure can cause the skin cells to stick together and you can actually get what we call milia or little cysts all over the skin. So there's a lot of ways that we can treat that. And I will get to that in a minute for, for my um, person that emailed or messaged in. But I think, how do we protect ourselves from the sun? And I think there was, at least when I was growing up, there was a lot of confusion on this. 
it's gotten better over the years um, as the FDA did put out um, some guidelines for labeling sunblocks, which was always a problem. But I never understood why there was a difference between sunblock and sunscreen. And there is a difference. They work differently. And I think it's important to understand that so that you know what you're doing to protect your own skin. So in order to understand that, let's kind of go backwards. What is SPF? And it's sun protection factor. Well, what does that mean? I mean, people are buying some SPFs 100, right? SPF is literally a range of numbers for the ability of the sunblock to block out the burning rays. So it literally is the, it's based on the time it takes you to burn on your skin. So for example, an SPF of two, if you're out in the sun for 10 minutes, it extends it to burn time of, you burn in 10 minutes, it would extend it to a burn time of 20 minutes. An SPF of four, you multiply that 10 minute sunburn, it takes 40 minutes to burn. 15, instead of 10 minutes to burn, it takes 150 minutes to burn. So it has nothing to do with aging, right? So that's a little bit of a, I guess, a problem with SPF because it's really not telling you anything about aging rays. It's only talking about burning rays. And we're going to talk about the difference in the two of them and really what that means. But so SPF literally is burning rays, which is generally speaking UVB protection, okay? So we're going to delve into that a little bit deeper. But, you know, the sunscreens go from like two to, like I said, 80, 100. And really, you get to a point where you have to reapply it anyway, because it's not going to work as well. So at two hours, if you're reapplying it, right, that's 120 minutes, it really makes no difference past really an SPF of 15. Um, you know, if you can say an SPF of 30, okay, fine. But there's really no benefit to an SPF of 80, SPF of 60, SPF of 100, um, other than it's just a marketing ploy. So again, if you're already at 100 and, um, 120 minutes or 150 minutes, where's the benefit after that? Because you, you really should be reapplying anyway. So all sunscreens, um, sunscreen is literally absorbing the light. Sunblock is reflecting the light. Okay, that's the difference between the two. And unfortunately, when they did change the labeling, um, and we're, we'll go into that a little bit, but when they changed the labeling in 2011, the FDA didn't really, um, they said everything had to be called a sunscreen. Um, now, they, they did say that it had to have the SPF on there and it had to say whether it was broad spectrum or not, which broad spectrum means that it protects you against UVB and UVA, which literally means UVA, I always think A is aging rays, is between 320 and 400 nanometers of light. So if you look at the light spectrum, if you just think that 80 points is your UVA rays. Now, if you go down on that spectrum, to the UVB radiation, that's 290 to 320. Okay, so if it gets you some of both of those, it doesn't have, the have, to, whole, have to have the whole thing, it can have part of it. Um, if it has some UVB and UVA, then it's gonna be called broad spectrum sunscreen. If it has an SPF of 15 or higher, we think that's sufficient. So again, it should say broad spectrum and SPF of 15 or higher. And the other restrictions were on waterproof versus water um, resistant. 
And that was a big one because almost all the sunscreens and sunblocks when I was a kid said waterproof. And now they cannot say waterproof. They can say water resistant and the time of water resistance. So meaning needs to be replied within 40 minutes, needs to be replied within 80 minutes. That's huge because when we were kids, you put it on once and that was it. And you would buy whatever brand, you know, was the best marketing that you liked. And there wasn't any, what we would call broad spectrum labeling. And, you know, we would use things for the most part um, in the early 90s that were all just UVB. And they didn't have any UVA protection. So what does that mean? It means that, the, you know, that generation of people, since UVA is a much longer um, wavelength, it penetrates deeper in the skin and ages the skin more than... Um, UVB does, but UVB burns. So we could physically see the difference with our sunblocks because we weren't burning, but we weren't really getting full coverage. So, you know, now with some of the broad spectrum sun um, screens and sunblocks that we're going to talk about, you'll see that we're getting better coverage. Um, but we're also, the, the United States is very far behind on getting these approved. And unfortunately, you know, we still have a lot of labeling out there that's, that's not FDA approved as well. Um, most of them are on, I would say, like wipes, towelettes. There are body washes and shampoos that are actually marketed as sunscreens that, um, that are not FDA approved. Why? Because they only approve basically the cream and the spray forms um, because the rest of them have not shown sufficient um, sun protection. So again, you're looking for broad spectrum. You're looking for water resistant on the label. You're looking for SPF of 15 or higher. And we're going to talk about... Um, how to pick out a broad spectrum sunscreen or sunblock because again the united states is so far behind on this and there is a corner on the market with one company so there's really only one company that has access to one of the chemicals that's probably one of the best extenders of the spectrum um, and for longevity on the market so we're going to talk about that in a second let's really quickly talk about the spectrum again UVA is your aging rays. UVB is your, um, what we would call your burning rays. Most of our UVA sunblocks are what we would call reflectors. So that means it's taking the light and it's reflecting it off of your skin. So titanium dioxide, zinc oxide, um, avobenzone, which is also known as Parsol 1789, and Encamsol. Encamsol is an ingredient that we're going to talk a lot about, um, which is unfortunately there's a corner on the market. Like I said, somebody owns that the rights to mix oral in the United States and it's only in basically one product line in the United States. So we're going to go into that a little bit, but they are the ones that are going to keep you from aging the most. And they're really going to get you that 320 to 400, that other end of the spectrum that those UVB sunscreens don't get. And there's oxybenzone, um, which is probably the most common chemical UVB um, sunscreen absorber. It's, and there's a ton of other chemicals out there, but they really only absorb what we would call 290 to 320. Actually, it's a little less than 320. So there's a little gap in the spectrum that's not being protected for the most part by um, the sun blocks that are on the market. And that little spot, the best product to get that spot really is that mixoral, um, which is Encamsol. 
And that ingredient is really only found in the United States in one product, which is why I honestly don't carry, um, in, at least on my on my website, a sunscreen or a sunblock um, other than um, a tinted moisturizer with zinc and titanium. And it's because Mixoral or Uncamsol, which is its regular name, is was put through the FDA um, by L'Oreal. And it was the only company, because the FDA literally, some blocks are considered a drug, not a cosmetic product. So what happens is it takes a long time to get it put through, and it's a lot of money. So no one really took the time or the energy to put most of the products that are overseas through the FDA um, to get into our sunblocks. And L'Oreal did. They got Mixoral approved. Um, it's a very photostable. So when it's in the skin, it's you're not really worried about it breaking down, turning into other compounds. And that's really important because there is a lot of discussion right now on whether or not some of the sunscreens are safe. And it really gets the... Um, the UVA, the whole spectrum without having kind of some of the negative side effect or negative connotation of the titanium and the zinc, which tends to be a little bit greasy, a little bit white, a little bit thick at times. So, but it only gets those UVAs, right? So it still needs to be used with those UVB filters, which are or sunscreens. So you'll see that um, there's a product called um, Ant Helios, and there's a lot of them on the market. There's a couple different types, but they all have Mixoral or Encampsil. And that is going to make it a very stable UVA sunblock. And you can only get it in L'Oreal's La Roche-Posay um, Ant Helios. Again, I get nothing from that other than the fact that it's a great product. Um, it's a very, very stable UVA sunblock. And again, it's mixed with some good UVB screens. It does a really nice job. It does have titanium um, dioxide in it as well. So you will find it's a it's a really, really good product. And, you know, <laughs> they're the only ones that were willing to wait for the approval because it took it takes forever. You know, they can wait up to 12 years, you know, sometimes longer. In Australia and New Zealand, just to give you an idea, the amount of titanium dioxide in their sunblocks and sun, their sunblocks forever was approaching 20%. And for almost a a decade and a half that I can remember, um, we only were able to do it um, up to 8%. So, you know, the the FDA just took a really long time getting some of those sunblocks brought over with the higher percentage. Um, Blue Lizard is one of those brands they do carry in my office. Um, it is um, a wonderful titanium and zinc product, again, with the highest percentages that you can get on the market. It was in New Zealand for, uh, in Australia forever before it came to the United States. So, um, very inexpensive, but gives you really good protection. Now, remember, with these sunblocks, they are all on top, so they're applied differently than a sunscreen, okay? Sunscreens need to be rubbed in. They need to be sprayed and let sit in for about 30 minutes because they need to soak into the skin. So I tell people this. If you're using, and I think there's a, a, a place for both. I think you should be using a sunscreen and a sunblock. So you should be using chemicals that absorb the light and chemicals that reflect the light. Okay, the my favorite product on the market for a few reasons. Um, the primary reason uh, is it's very easy to use and it has a very it has a stable um, life. It has a longer life and it's called um, it's Neutrogena with Helioplex. So Helioplex is interesting and Helioplex actually extends the life of the sunscreen. So it actually makes it much more stable so that when the heat hits it, it doesn't break down as easily. 
Um, so from a perspective of longevity and protection, it does a really nice job. So again, for that UVB, what I do is I actually use the Neutrogena um, with Helioplex and I actually prefer the spray. Um, I know there's lots of stuff with that too, but I prefer the spray. You can use the cream. And then I use the, um, the La Roche-Posay over top on my chest, my shoulders, my face, depending on what I'm wearing. So that that's kind of where I go with this. Um, just remember, you know, we talk about clothing and big brim hats and all these things, but a white t-shirt has an SPF of seven. So even with a, a white tee on, you still can get color and you still can get aging rays. So I think that's really important to understand because there's a big trend right now in clothes and sunblock clothes. And there's tons of companies that, and that are putting them out right now. And actually, it's really interesting. There's lots of bathing suits that are long sleeve bathing suits this year um, or even like whole piece shorts and a shirt bathing suit um, that are not just cover-ups. They're actually bathing suits. So I've seen a bunch of those um, online. I know L.L. Bean has had some protective clothing forever. Cooley Bar. Um, Athleta, Land's End, um, Columbia has had the shirts and the hats for a really quite some time. So, you know, if you are looking to make this easier, you um, SPF clothing does a really nice job. Just remember, regular clothing, like especially gauzy um, cover-ups and that kind of thing, you still can get sun through that and you still can get aging rays through that, especially in your chest and shoulders, um, the thin-skinned areas that get a ton of sun. So, just keep that in mind. Broad-brimmed hats. I think a lot of times we think about baseball caps. Generally speaking, a baseball cap doesn't do enough, especially for the sides of your face. So when we say broad brim, we kind of mean like a big floppy hat um, or almost like a, um, even like a cowboy hat would work, something like that. You want to have basically a perimeter on all sides, back of your neck, over your ears, um, and over the sides of your face and your front and the front of your face. So, um, you know, just make sure that you're not just doing a baseball cap because that's not going to be enough. Okay, so we talked about mixoral. We talked about um, UVB and UVA. We talked a little bit about um, Helioplex. Again, you're going to look for, and I believe they still have the patent on Helioplex, so it is the only company that still has it um, in their sunscreens. The UVA rays will not make you red, okay? So traditionally that's where this whole tanning booth misconception came because UVA, um, again, it does a better job of probably not making you red, but it still ages you as much. And UVA can still, in the data and the studies, contribute to um, skin cancer. So um, if you go, and this is actually an interesting study. So we talked, it said conventional sunscreen does not block UVA as effectively as it does UVB. An SPF rating of 30 plus may translate significantly to lower levels of UVA protection, meaning the higher you go trying to block that UVB, you're actually shifting your product that you're using and you're actually moving away from UVA protection. Um, that's a study from, from 2003. There was a lot of studies leading up um, to 2011. For example, in 2004, there was another study um, at the University of Virginia that showed that UVA could also cause damage to skin cells deep within the skin, where previously we only thought it was UVB causing melanoma, which is where that broad spectrum terminology started to come into play. We really um, started to understand that it had to have a little bit of both coverage. Okay, so 
again, um, what you're looking for, and they do sell Aunt Helios at the pharmacy. Um, it is usually either on the bottom of the shelf or behind the pharmacy counter, depending on where you go. It is La Roche-Posay, which is by L'Oreal. It has Octocreoline, which is a UVB sunscreen. It has um, Parcel 1789, which is an Ava Benzone. It's a very long UVA um, right, um, absorber. Stable, and it's stabilized by the first ingredient that I gave you, which is the Octocreoline. And last but not least, it has that Mixoral. And that Mixoral, like I said, it, it's very stable, but it kind of gets that last little gap in that... Um, in the uh, sun um, nanometer wavelength. So if you're looking at the wavelengths, you're literally missing from 320 to 240. It's this little gap where you're not getting protection. And mixoral, it gets that. So you have a very stable UVB protection and you have a nice um, gap filler and that UVA protection. And then, um, you know, it, actually it's really smooth and it goes on clean. I love it. So that's what I use. Um, I get asked all the time what I use and you know, again, that ultra, I like the ultra sheer too of the um, Neutrogena has Ava Benzone, which is, you know, a little bit controversial right now, but I still find it to give me the best sun protection. Um, that's an AV, uh, UVA protector. It has oxybenzone, again, has UVA protection and it has that helioplex, which extends the life um, up to 12 hours actually. So when we talk about um, length of sun blocks versus sunscreens, that helioplex makes those chemicals very, very stable. So, um, and again, I don't know of anyone else on the market that's able to provide that kind of um, length of um, protection. So again, for, you know, we're talking about being out all day, that kind of thing, to me, that's perfect um, to put underneath. And then you reapply it every half hour. Now, if you're reapplying it over a zinc product, um, you're most likely going to have to reapply the zinc product again, um, a zinc or titanium product, because again, that sits on top of the skin. And when you're trying to force something through the skin, you're probably going to move it around and, and make it a little less um, efficient. Um, let's talk a little bit about eyes. I think this is one that I have struggled with over the years. I don't like sunglasses, but I've learned to have to use them. As I've gotten older, I think my eyes have become more sensitive to the sun. So, you know, when you look at sunglasses, tint does not mean sun protection. And, you know, we know that um, UV rays damages um, the eyes and we know that it affects vision. So you're looking for something that says UV 400, which is giving you 100% UV protection. And that is going to block 99% of your UVA and UVB ra radiation. So, you know, again, when you're looking for those sunglasses, the cheap ones, yes, they're going to give you a tint and they're going to help you maybe to not be squinting, but they're not necessarily giving you that UVA and UVB protection. Um, that's huge, especially for, you know, if you don't, if you want to try to protect your eyes from damage um, so that your vision doesn't become affected. We talked a little bit about application of sunblock. I just want to make sure that I reiterate that the white stuff, the titanium dioxide stuff and the zinc stuff, there are companies that make them very thin and fine and they almost are undetectable as a white layer and they're great, but you want to make sure that, um, that you're putting it on evenly and that that's like your physical barrier. So if you're only kind of like almost like a, if you're doing a sunscreen, sometimes you kind of spread it out a lot more, but sunblock has to be very, very coated and specific and you actually have to just wait till it disappears. 
um, so that you can um, have good protection. Doesn't necessarily take 15 minutes to start working like the or 30 minutes like the others, but you want to make sure that you put a nice even coat. Um, they're also better for ki people or kids with really sensitive skin. The chemicals tend to be really irritating for people and kids with eczema, sensitive skin, and those kind of um, issues. So we tend to lean towards the titanium and the zinc for sensitive skin or skin that's prone to breakouts. It is um, just two very natural ingredients and it's not soaking into the skin, creating a disruption in the, um, the oil glands or even creating like an eczema or a sensitivity. So I think you'll find that for kids, um, and it's much bigger now because we can have higher percentages, that we're getting a lot more um, like the CeraVe, the sunblock, which is a zinc and a titanium, that is a nice high percentage coverage um, for the sensitive skin. So, you know, make sure that you patch test because that is some of the controversy over sunscreens right now is just because they do break down the skin and you have some sensitivities. There is also some talk of cancer and is this chemical that's breaking down in your skin creating a, um, a carcinogenic effect. Um, I think the data is still out on most of them. Um, there, there are a couple that really um, have hit, hit the press probably in the early 2000s. But if you stick with the mixoral and, and like I said, the um, Neutrogena Helioplex, I think you're, you're in, in good company. Um, so those are the two. And then if you're talking about kind of zinc and titanium, I love Blue Lizard. I do love CeraVe as well. Um, there are two really good ones. And I happen to love um, Obagi makes a really nice one as well. Um, that's a sunblock that is all titanium dioxide and zinc. That is phenomenal. So again, if you're looking for product, um, I don't have a lot of those on my site. Most of them are over the counter and you can get them at the pharmacy. You can get them on Amazon. Um, I have found that there was one that was a prescription strength product other than, like I said, the Obagi, which you can still get online. Um, and I love Revisions too. Revision has a titanium tinted moisturizer um, that's called IntelliShade. That is nice, especially if you're going to the beach, has a nice sunblock on it, has a little bit of tint to it. Um, but it also has some plant lighteners to help lighten up sunspots. So you're getting the benefit of the anti-aging and the um, getting rid of the freckling while you're wearing the product, which is a pretty awesome. And that comes in matte and um, uh, like a gloss. So um, I personally like the matte, but I feel like younger people like the little bit of shine. So they're both wonderful. And we do carry those on um, refreshwellness.net as well. So Let's talk a little bit about how I reverse um, this stuff because we have about seven minutes or eight minutes left, seven and a half. And I want to really kind of get to the crux of what happens when the sun creates these spots. So what we're doing is you're creating this dark melanin pigment and you're actually, it's, it's deep. So it starts off pretty superficial and the longer it's exposed to sunlight, the more it produces pigment underneath. So yes, they get darker. Sometimes they get larger. But the worst part is, is they get harder to get rid of. So when we treat these sunspots, um, we usually will use a lightening cream like that um, IntelliShade that I just talked about. Or Obagi makes um, a really nice lightening kit. Or they actually sell products that have um, two, a lightening agent in each of them, an exfoliator. So it's a hydroquinone, which is a lot of controversy over too, which I'm not going to get into right now. We'll do a separate talk on that. But they all do a really great job of lightening up the skin tone without lightening up your natural color. The other thing we have is called an IPL, and that is a photofacial. Why is it called a photofacial? 
Well, if you think about it, it's literally taking away photo damage and it makes you look like you had a facial, literally. So it evens out your skin tone from a color perspective. It targets browns and reds. So it targets hemoglobin. So it gets rid of all those little capillaries and those red spots. And it targets the brown spots. Getting rid of freckling, melasma, um, just discoloration, acne scars, acne spots, evens it out and does a really nice job. By that same token, we have what's called a Fraxel, which is a resurfacer. And that Fraxel is called Fraxel Restore. And don't look up like any old Fraxel. Just please look up Fraxel Restore because there is a difference. And this Fraxel, I always say it peels the onion. If any residents are listening, I love to say it peels the onion because it targets water. So it will get the top layers of skin and peel them off. But it's going to leave you with a deeper pigment still because it's not targeting browns. It's targeting water. So it will lighten up the top layer because it's taking it off, but it's not going to get your deeper pigment. So it does a great job of collagen and tightening and all these other great things for your skin. It is going to airbrush the top layers of browns, but it's not going to get your deeper ones. So that's kind of where you reserve that IPL or or what we call in the office a VLPL um, which is like a modified LPL, a little less old school aggressive, if you will. So it's not as much skin damage, a little bit nicer for your skin and not as much downtime. So brown spots tend to be the bane of our existence in general, because guess what, guys? They're always coming back. Sorry, they're never going away forever. Everybody wants to know why do they, ha- why do they have to come back every couple of years for sunspots? It's because they're literally sitting at the bottom layer of the dermis, which is the bottom layer of the skin where we make p- pigment. And it just goes do, 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 and climbs up. The better you avoid the sun, the less it climbs up. But unfortunately, with daily exposure, which we all have, they're going to climb back up to the top. So there's always a reason to have to hit these again or to stay on something to keep them lighter. So again, for that sunspot, solar lentigo, when we talk about the wrinkling and like what I call the roadmaps or like kind of where all the skin starts to come together and it looks a little bit crepey and crinkly, that's where that Fraxel Restore comes into play because it does regenerate a lot of collagen. Collagen is youth. Collagen equals elastic tissue because elasticity is improved as well. Um, and you're again, you're peeling that onion, so you're revealing some newer, fresher skin type. And that's really important. The other machine that we love that does this is called um, the Morpheus. And Morpheus is microneedling on steroids. Okay, so... If you think about it, it's literally a, um, a machine that microneedles and stamps these needles into your skin. And when it's doing that, it gets to the bottom and it's super, super smart and brilliant. It actually will um, give you the heat at the bottom of the needle. So basically, it's giving you a radio wave at the bottom of this needle and it deploys it in your dermis, which is the layer that actually makes collagen and tightens, and it actually will help to tighten the skin up. So it's great for getting all the little fine lines and wrinkles. It's great for tightening the jawline. It's wonderful for the neck. Um, it's also really good for getting off um, those, helping to get off those little milia, which I've had a couple women lately that have had those. And the milia are little white cysts on the skin that actually are from basically the skin cells just get stuck in the skin. And they actually create little um, keratin or, or little balls. And it looks like a whole bunch of mini whiteheads, except they're round. That's a horrible way to live because they don't come off. You can't do anything to get them off except laser them or nick them all open individually. 
The other thing that we can do, so we can use Morpheus, we can use Fraxel on those, but we can also use retinols or Retin-A. And Retin-A is going to, again, it's going to peel that onion. It's going to get the layers of skin to turn over. It's going to dry out the skin a little bit. You wean onto it and it's going to start to exfoliate those little itty bitty cysts that you're going to get on the skin from, from hopefully not get, but that you, people get. It also is going to help with fine lines and wrinkles. So what you're going to find is a retinol or a retin-A is going to help in a lot of ways. The only downside is it does make you sun sensitive. So by the nature of peeling off the skin in everything that I just talked about, the Morpheus, the Fraxel, the retin-A, it does make you a little sun sensitive. So retin-A must be rinsed off before you go out in the sun. We recommend you doing the lasers at a time when you don't have a lot of sun exposure. And that's the best way to go about doing it. You know, especially for the brown spots. The whole point of this laser is to see, okay, your skin is white, the brown spot is brown. I need to be able to find this dark spot. If your skin's too dark and you can't see the difference, it's not going to work as well. So the whiter you are and the darker the lesion, the better off this, this works. So, you know, we, although we do treat black skin types, um, we have to go very slow and easy and be very mindful of the lack or maybe not as much color difference and hitting their own natural pigment. Um, also, those capillaries, those little itty-bitty capillaries on the skin, we get rid of those with IPL as well. Under the, around the nose, on the cheek, on the chin, um, you will see those from sun damage as well. And I think that, you know, a nice IPL a couple times a year, and then once a year after that, you're good to go. So again, you can find this information on my website, which is mydrlori.com, M-Y-D-R-L-O-R-I. And again, I don't carry the sunblocks necessarily, but what I'm, I'm more prone to do is actually lead you towards where to get the right product because I just don't find it to be worth it for me to carry it on my, on my site. Um, if you have any questions on skin lesions, you can actually reach out to me on mydrlori.com as well. Or you can email me directly at info at mydrlaurie.com. So um, I think I answered the question on Facebook. And so we have IPL, Fraxel. We have um, the retinols. The only thing I didn't talk about was probably chemical peels. And since I have a minute left, there's a million chemical peels on the market. They all do a nice job for getting rid of some of the pigmentation. But what I will say is that it is a little bit of a slow road. So you have to be ready for, for that road and do several of them at a time. So we do offer them in the office and at my parties. So you can always email me about that. So that is your education for the night guys on uh, sunspots, sunblock, sunscreen, um, and skin in general. So have a great night. I will see you next Wednesday, 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time for Anti-Aging Unraveled. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Anti-Aging Unraveled. Be sure to join Dr. Lori Gerber again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week and keep you aging gracefully. 